It's 1130 on Friday, January 22nd. Tyler Cavalli along with you. We've got a full house today. Scott Foster is in for Jason, who's down in Kansas for UNK Hoops, which we had some winners yesterday for the Lopers. We'll have more about that. Bob Broken is in, and uh, he'll fill us in how stocks are doing. Seems like they're doing a little bit better here in the last hour or so. But let's head to the phone as our own Susan Littlefield is in Des Moines, Iowa, actually at an event for the first time in eons, it feels like. Oh, it was crazy. I had to, the endorphins not only from producers and custom harvesters that are here, just everybody in general. It's kind of nice to be doing something quote-unquote normal. Yeah, and actually at an event, I know the farm team obviously hasn't been able to travel to different places because of the COVID pandemic, and understandably so. But uh, some now events are starting to hold, uh, obviously, some events that we didn't see last year at this time. Exactly. So it is great to be. I'm at the U.S. Custom Harvesters Annual Convention. We've got some on the road that will be coming up over the next couple of days, talking about the things that are happening here. But even with on the road, there's a lot of things happening weather-wise, as you've been talking about. And we'll hear more about that at uh, 1219, kicking it off with Al Dutcher as we talk about weather going into the weekend. Then at 1245, Alex will come in and talk about an update that's happening with the BQA program. And then wrapping everything up at 117 is the FNBO Friday feeders. We're going to hear from Clay as he talks to a gal that has started a cattle feeding career near Bertrand. So that is the midday on a Friday from the farm team. All right. Should be some uh, fascinating stuff as always. Thanks for uh, calling in and uh, have a safe trip back to Nebraska. I will do so. Thanks so much. All right. That was Susan Littlefield giving us a preview of what's to come. Let's turn it over to Scott Foster, who's filling in for Jason Jorgensen. And sad day in Major League Baseball today, losing a legend, Hank Aaron, dying at 86 years old. You know what a story uh, Hammer and Hank is. I mean, this guy was stoic. Uh, he had so much dignity. He took so much grief for for beating Babe Ruth's home run record. Mm-hmm. People didn't like it, and uh, they were, I mean, just dealt with the racism and stuff like that in such a dignified way. Uh, Just one of the absolute top five greats in baseball history. Spent most of his career with the Braves, first the Milwaukee Braves and then the Atlanta Braves, and uh, uh, pretty pretty amazing thing, and he passed away at 86. That's really something. Don Sutton passed away earlier yeah. this week. I feel like Major League Baseball in the last year or so has lost some legends. Well, had, uh, was it Joe Necro just a little bit? Joe or Phil Necro, one of the Necros, yeah. passed away a Tommy little bit Lasorda. before. Tommy Lasorda. I mean, we're only in the first month here, and those three, four legends have already passed away. Yeah, it's a good sign. Not good stuff. So, uh, Husker Volleyball. Yep, good news that's there. the big news in Nebraska. Husker Volleyball off and going. They'll be taking on Indiana today. They are 17-1 and all-time against the Hoosiers. So that that should be fun. It'll be exciting to hear that happening. It will be. We'll have that for you right here on 880 KRVN. Thank you very much, Scott. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan and how his stock's doing so far. Wall Street is tapping the brakes a bit on its record-setting rally as the uh, markets take a pause today. Um, Sales of existing homes rose seven-tenths of a percent in December, helping to push sales for the entire year to the highest level in 14 years. And I've seen evidence of that in my own neighborhood. Uh, Hmm. I believe a house across the street from me sold just in the past week. So uh, It's good news, though. Yeah. Did you buy it, it, Bob? No, I didn't. (laughs) But... uh, Tomorrow, it's UNK and high school basketball from KRVN Sports. On 93.1 The River and 106.9 in Kearney. 
UNK Lopers wrap up their weekend with games at Missouri Southern. Game times are 1.30 for the women and 3.30 for the men. On Cami Country and KUBR in Holdridge, it's Kozad at home against the Holdridge Dusters with a pregame for the girls' game at 3.50 with the boys' game to follow. That's UNK and high school basketball action this weekend from KRVN Sports and at KRVN. Time for regional ag weather update here on this Friday. It's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins has stepped in the studio. And, well, Paul, today we're talking snow. Exactly. Uh, except for some parts of the area, they're seeing lots of sunshine over southwest Nebraska, especially south of the interstate in northern Kansas and the southern half of the Nebraska Panhandle. Lots of sunshine. But, yes, some scattered areas of snow still from north central into east central Nebraska, and that is dumped up to three inches mm-hmm. of snow in the Taylor area. Also reported three inches of snow in the Gordon area. So that's kind of even surpassed what we predicted yesterday leading up to this little snowstorm that's moved in. Exactly. Yeah, just uh, it doesn't take much uh, 30 uh, three inches of snow though only about 30 hundredths of moisture when it does get melted down maybe even less than that at best so uh, it doesn't take too long to get that snow all fluffed up but yeah kind of a surprise system that did develop into a little bit more than we thought does appear it is weakening here as the day's gone along yeah that snow really becoming scattered uh, currently that snow very scattered from lincoln all the way to grand Island. that's kind of the main area of some snow also some areas of snow from about broken boat to loop city on a very light scatter basis and some light scatter snow still possible popping up over north central nebraska mullen to rose up to about the valentine to ainsworth area that will gradually die out as it does move out towards the southeast and with these areas that have received snow we're seeing road conditions uh, being impaired a little bit. Exactly, especially to in the northern half of Nebraska, uh, north of Highway 92, a little bit more snow cover on those roads, and to a little bit of slick travel and uh, slowing down the travel. But right along I-80, most of the locations not too bad for any travel this morning. And I suppose the one good thing about this is we're not seeing any strong winds with the snow. Mm-hmm, just kind of laying down and uh, not causing too much in the way of blowing or drifting or visibility problems, and that will be the case over the next several days. This is system number one. Four separate disturbances today through Wednesday, leading to those chances of snow and a wintry mix. Three of the systems don't look overly impressive, but each of them could cause at least some minor travel issues like we are seeing somewhat in northern areas of Nebraska today. The one to watch is probably Sunday night into Monday. The first system today moving through, keeping those snow chances mainly to the north of I-80. Accumulations will be light, but couldn't reach an inch or two once again to the north of Highway 92. And we've, of course, seen some instances of up to three inches of snow and Another report of some snow, a half an inch of snow being reported on the ground in the Valentine area. System number two coming in tomorrow through tomorrow night. That will bring a chance of some a light wintry mix and some light snow in the Panhandle and central and east areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Light ice accumulations could cause some travel concerns in eastern areas for late tomorrow into tomorrow night. Now the third system that does bear some watching for possible snow accumulations is Sunday night into Monday. So pay attention to that one. Still some forecast uncertainty this far out and with the differences in the forecast models but definitely a potential for some accumulating snow sunday night into monday system number four likely with the mainly snow event for tuesday afternoon through wednesday afternoon that one not looking as concerning as the one sunday night into monday but it is too far out to know for sure now thursday will be dry and the beginning of a warming trend with the ridge of high pressure in our long-term outlook the temperature forecast turns quickly to warmer than normal in nebraska 
Nebraska and Kansas and the central U.S. for late next week through the first four days of next month. Now, for reference, average late January and early February daytime highs in central Nebraska are in the upper 30s with average overnight lows in the mid-teens. Expected to stay above that, it will be mostly dry with below normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas late next week through February 4th. In the outlook for the month of February, Nebraska and Kansas predicted to see slightly above normal temperatures with near normal precipitation. Key weather factors in the markets include continued rain for Brazil and periods of rain in Argentina's forecast. In the U.S., several occurrences of precipitation in the Midwest in the next seven days will bring moderate to heavy amounts for central and southern areas and mainly as a mix of freezing moisture and snow. Across wheat areas of the southern plains, two systems will bring several rounds of light to moderate precipitation through the next week. The driest sections, though, in the western and southern plains will have the lowest chances at anything meaningful. Central and south-central Brazil expect more rain the next seven days, a benefit to filling soybeans and an increase in moisture for the planting of second crop corn. Northeast Brazil will be drier, but the majority of Brazil crop production in line to benefit from the additional rain. Central Argentina's rain the next seven days will be scattered, a benefit for their crop moisture. Recent Central Argentina rainfall has been above normal and helped to improve their crop conditions. So these next couple of uh, systems that we're looking at here uh, throughout the weekend and into early next week, where's the primary area these could impact? Well, excuse me, uh, mainly over, uh, it's kind of far, uh, up in the air as far as uh, they haven't really given too much, uh, too much in the way of specifics as to where we're going to see the bulk of any moisture. But most likely in eastern areas tomorrow through tomorrow night. Then probably southwest and south-central areas of Nebraska into northern Kansas could be the potential for some snow accumulations, especially early on Sunday night into Monday. Okay. All right. Very good. For a full weather forecast, where can you find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. <laughs> 10:30. Chad Moyer with you back here on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get our our, our weekly update with Nebraska's ag climatologist Al Dutcher. Al, uh, thanks for joining us here again today. Uh, you were telling me before we went on the air here uh, a number of different opportunities to get some precipitation here over the next uh, week or ten days. Give us the rundown, Al. Well, it looks like we're going to start seeing a lot of action coming into the western United States, and at the same time, we're going to be dealing with the upper air trough over the Hudson Bay region. So the cold front that's going to be pushing through the state today and is already in the process of doing that is essentially an extension of the um, a piece of energy rotating around the upper Hudson Bay low. That's bringing that cool air into the surface. At the same time, we have a blocking high-pressure system in the North Central Pacific, and that's pushing an upper air low into the eastern Gulf of Alaska. And several pieces of that energy are going to run down the coast, get caught up in a very warm, evective type pattern south of the Hawaiian Islands, bringing that moisture into the western United States. They usually results in a lot of significant moisture in the Cascade region all the way down through the Sierras. That will start to spin pieces of energy out into our region. And the first piece looks like it's going to come out as we go into tomorrow particularly in the afternoon and the evening hours. And unfortunately, with this cold air at the surface, we're going to see some overrunning warm air aloft, and that's going to probably spread, unfortunately, some freezing rain and freezing drizzle across at least the southern one-third of the state. But as you go toward the north, there's a little bit more uncertainty, basically the I-80 corridor as you go up into the Columbus-Norfolk area. 
how much of that warm air loft will make it up into that region. So that really goes down to the overall forecast for precipitation. And right now, those regions we expected to receive anywhere from a trace to uh, maybe an inch and two might be on the excessive side. But as you get the I-80 corridor southward, begin looking at the potential for upwards of a quarter inches of uh, of icing. But most likely, most areas will see it between a trace and a tenth of an inch. And unfortunately, we don't get any rebound in temperatures as we go into Sunday. It's cold. Another wave of cold air from the north pushes through. At the same token, another piece of energy comes out of the southwest, starts to move into our region as we go into Sunday night. And then by the time we get into Monday, it looks like it's going to spread a fairly widespread area of precipitation from uh, eastern Kansas all the way up through the Ohio, southern Ohio River Valley. Southeast Nebraska is on the northwest side of that. There's potential there for some accumulating snowfall. We get another break. And then Tuesday, another system comes out. Starts to impact as we go through the day on Wednesday. This one looks like it's going to have some chances for anywhere from two to four inches moderate accumulation across portions of eastern Nebraska. Then we go into a rapid warming trend as a powerful system comes into the Pacific Northwest. That's going to make a ridge build up toward the east of it. We should see a rebound in temperatures. The warmest are probably going to be across western Nebraska where we aren't going to see much of any way of snowfall. But certainly in eastern Nebraska, temperatures as we get to later next week will be determined by the snowpack. I will say this, these precipitation events ruling through the southern Rockies are very important because we have a below normal snowpack. So four or five systems coming through there should start to bring our snowpack up a little bit and it's spreading that moisture through the central and southern plains. As we get into the spring, some of that moisture may actually start to be a benefit to us at the surface as these systems that continue this strength will work on that moisture and spread that toward the north and west. And we get those upslope snowstorms as we get into late February and March, particularly across the northwest half of the state. All right, very good. Thank you much for the information and the insight. Once again, Nebraska Ag Climatologist Al Dutcher and this week's uh, weather update here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Chad Moyer reporting. 992. It's time for Midday Sports. Scott Foster is sitting in as Jason is on the road with UNK and both got wins last night for the UNK Loper men's and women's basketball team. So congratulations. From the Gorillas. That's right. Pitt State. out the Gorillas. Which, by the way, I realized last night that I had been mentioning he was in Missouri this entire week, which I was wrong. He was there two weeks ago. He's in Kansas this week. So we got it all figured out. We're not our Jason's keeper. So uh, we can't. We don't know where he is all the time. You know. Good point. He could have been in Missouri. He might have been. Might it's close. Yeah, like a day off. You know, could have went across over trip. to Joplin. Uh, today we will have volleyball, which is extremely Does weird it? to be talking Just... about in the month of January. Huskers start their season. They do. For the first time in 13 months, the Nebraska volleyball team will return to the court when they travel to Bloomington, Indiana this weekend for a pair of matches against the Hoosiers. The fifth-ranked Huskers will serve it up at Wilkinson Hall. It's a 5 o'clock serve. We'll have that for you here on 880 KRVM. Nebraska, by the way, is 17-1 and against Indiana, and uh, they beat the Hoosiers pretty good last year in Bloomington. John Cook's 24. First year, wow, wow. and look at that record: five hundred and eighty-eight and eighty-one. That's wow. pretty solid, right? That's that's all right. That's all right. Just just slightly better than my coaching record, just a little <laughs> bit. Sad day for baseball. Uh, one of the one of the greats, uh, home run king Hank Aaron died. The Atlanta Braves said he died peacefully in his sleep early Friday. No cause was given. He was 
86. Aaron made his last public appearance less than two weeks ago when he received the COVID-19 vaccine. Interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Aaron, of course, endured racist threats with stoic dignity during his pursuit of Babe Ruth, but went on a, went on to break the career home run record in the pre-steroid era. His record stood for more than 33 years. Let's listen to the call. And it, by the way, this call is by Vin Scully. How how historic. Uh, I mean, just think. We'll let you hear it. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. course right now he's jogging around yeah. we'll let Vin take over here in just a second what a marvelous moment for baseball what a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia what a marvelous moment for the country and the world a black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol and it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. Mm. Goosebumps. Uh. Goosebumps. That was courtesy of Major League Baseball, by the way. But you have Vince Scully on a call. Hank Aaron, hammering Hank Aaron, able to uh, hit the home run. Boy, that's that's great stuff. Uh, that really is. Wait, I should, If I had any class, I would just end right now. But I do have more <laughs> to talk about, so i got to go ahead. But... My goodness, that was uh, number 715 that he hit there to break Babe Ruth's record against uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's why you heard Vin Scully talking about it. Aaron finished his career with 755 home runs. Barry Bonds surpassed it in 2007, but, you know. That's for steroids, and we, right? yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that later. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he looks like he's going to play. He's giving strong indications that he'll be the Kansas City Chiefs starting quarterback for the AFC Championship game Sunday Against Buffalo, the 2018 NFL MVP took the majority of the first-team reps. Of course, he's been in the concussion protocol for a while, so they've been watching him. I don't know if you heard this. <laughs> Just uh, this was the Detroit Lions found a new head coach. Now, the Lions have struggled for a long time, and uh, trying to find an identity, I, I think Dan Campbell's going to give them an identity. Let's Let's hear what he believes his team philosophy will be. All right, and so this team's going to be built on, uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth, all right, and, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you, and when you knock us down, we're going to get up, and on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right, and we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right, and on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us down, and when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you before... Before long, where they're going to be the last one standing? That guy will right. be. That's going to be the mentality. He will be dismantling people piece by piece. <laughs> no kneecaps at all for opponents in Detroit after this. That's sports. All right. Thanks, Dan Campbell, for that. <laughs> Equal housing lender. It's time for midday news. Dave Schroeder has now stepped in, and Dave, you feeling lucky? <laughs> 
Uh, I I wish. <laughs> maybe, maybe I got to be more optimistic. Right, I guess, no, so. you have to say, of course, Tyler. I'm going to win it all, and then uh, we, I won't see you ever again, probably. I kind of told some of my colleagues in the building that uh, you know, don't waste your money. I've already bought the winning ticket, so. <laughs> well, as long as you're going to be spl- splitting some of that. Listen, it's it's grown. You'll tell us more here in a mo- moment, but yeah. it's a couple grand here and there if you win that much money, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just saying, don't forget about us. Incredible. I won't. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring in a nice catered dinner for us. Good. Well, the amount for Mega Millions, it's grown. It has. Due to high sales, The uh, tonight's jackpot for the Mega Millions, if you haven't heard yet, is now at... $1 billion, or $740 million with the cash option. The Mega Millions jackpot starts at $20 million and continues to grow until it's drawn. There has been 36 consecutive Mega Millions drawings since uh, last September without a jackpot winner. Thus, we are now uh, in the second largest jackpot in Mega Millions history. That's tonight. At roughly 10 o'clock. What would you do? What was the first thing you would do if you were to win? Uh, I would um, I would uh, remember people around me a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, gen- two major donations. Of course. One to the uh, U.S. Treasury and the other to the Nebraska Department of Revenue. <laughs> you don't have an option to do anyway. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, let's continue on here. Nebraska Chief Justice Mike Hevikin said in the State of the Judiciary Address to lawmakers yesterday that the state's judicial branch has made outreach efforts to Nebraska's four recognized Native American tribes. Justice Hevikin said the initiative began two years ago with a roundtable discussion in South Sioux City with tribal representatives as well as federal and state representatives in attendance. That meeting ultimately resulted in the formation of the Consortium of Tribal, State, and Federal Courts, currently co-chaired by District Court Judge Andrea Miller of Scottsbluff County and uh, Chief Judge Patrick Runge of the Winnebago Tribal Court. The consortium is part of the Nebraska Supreme Court's Access to Justice Commission designed to fulfill our state's motto, equality before the law. Justice Hevikin says in early June of last year, many chief justices, himself included, addressed the civil unrest stemming from the incidents of racial injustice. Hevikin told lawmakers his message directed to the public and to the court community is available in the Supreme Court's annual report provided to each lawmaker in the packet that they received yesterday. He says no institution in the state plays a more pivotal role in ensuring equal access to justice than Nebraska's courts. Hevikin says there is no place in our court system for racial discrimination or inequality. Kansas is shifting into the second phase of coronavirus immunizations as the Republican-led State House approved a bill that would extend Kansas's pandemic emergency declaration. The bill now goes to Governor Laura Kelly, who has until January 26th to act before the declaration expires. It adds the use of telemedicine and flexibility in health care licensing, but it also limits Kelly's ability to close businesses and allow counties to opt out of mask mandates and other health orders that she issues. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Jesse Fulton has taken on the role as director for the Beef Quality Assurance Program, or BQA, for Nebraska. And today we're going to learn all about his journey and what some of his goals are 
for the program. Jesse, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Alex. I'm happy to be here. Well, first, I want to talk about your background and how you ended up getting in Nebraska. Tell us that story. Yeah, so, it's, you know, I'm originally from northeastern Kentucky. Uh, my grandparents on both sides of the family have been involved in cattle and dairy operations, you know, so I've been raised around it my whole life and then grew up around cow-calf operations, and I was always over at one of those places lending a helping hand. Um, so that's kind of where I started. I got my bachelor's in animal science from Moorhead State University there in Kentucky, and then I made the journey to South Dakota State University where I pursued my master's in meat science. After completing my degree at South Dakota State, I went and did a five-year stint with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, uh, where I was the director of producer education. That's kind of where I got my background with BQA. Um, then I met my wife there, uh, Brittany Shaneman, or Brittany Fulton now. She was working at NCBA as well, and uh, two opportunities opened up here in her uh, hometown of Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, the BQA position for me and the Nebraska Women in Agriculture for her. So we made the move back to Scotts Bluff, and we're happy to be here, and we're both happy to be serving the state of Nebraska. Wonderful. Well, Jesse, before we get too far into this conversation, remind us what the BQA program is. Yeah, so the Beef Quality Assurance Program is a voluntary producer-driven program um, that focuses producers' attention in their day-to-day practices on ensuring a high-quality, wholesome beef product uh, for our consumers. You know, when the consumer goes to the grocery store, They want to make sure they're picking up the safest product for their family possible. Um, And so that's what the BQA program does. If we have producers that are are engaged in the BQA program and following those guidelines, they're ensuring that they're doing their part the best they can to ensure that they are producing a safe product for our consumers. You know, consumers, when they're at the grocery store, one of their number one concerns is, how that product was raised, you know, if it was an animal-based product. And so animal welfare is number one. And BQA focuses its attention on animal welfare. And so uh, the BQA program helps producers tell their story of, this is how I raise my cattle. This is how I raise the beef that comes to your table. So, Jesse, as you transition into your new role as director of the BQA program for Nebraska, what would you say are some of your goals for this role? Yeah, you know, some of my goals is, is to keep producers in the know. You know, I want them to always be aware of what's going on in the BQA realm. So um, back in 2019, early 2019, uh, a lot of the packers started rolling out a requirement to be BQA certified uh, before they would purchase cattle from you. You know, Cargill has a 90% guarantee that they are only going to purchase uh, 90% of their supply from BQA certified feed yards. Um, you know, and Tyson has a 100% guarantee. And so some producers weren't aware of that. And so when they went to sell their cattle, um, they weren't able to get bids from Tyson because they didn't, weren't BQA certified. Um, and so I want to make sure the producers are always in the know when something like that's going to happen. I also want to make it really easy for them. You know, uh, a lot of producers... The BQA certificate's good for three years, and sometimes, you know, we know how it is with paperwork. We might misplace something. Well, in Nebraska, we're utilizing the National BQA database, and with that database, producers can go on at any time and print their certificate off or have it sent to their email. And because of that, because we're moving it electronically, it's very easy for them to forward that on to their cattle buyer. 
Um, that way their cattle buyer has everything they need for when they make that bid or that purchase of their cattle. Um, so I also want to make sure they have uh, guidelines, any, any protocols and templates that they need uh, to be following BQA guidelines. You know, we have a herd health protocol um, that they could be utilizing and many other different forms that they could use uh, to help make them better on their operations. Absolutely. Well, Jesse and I, you and I were talking before we came on air today that there's also something that should be on our radar for feedlot producers. Tell us more about this. Yeah. So for feedlot producers, um, the industry is really making a change and, and heading towards more of an auditing world. You know, there's a lot of people that want verification that certain practices are being followed, especially at the feed yard level. And, you know, this kind of comes from the consumers. The consumers want to know. They demand it. And they want to know, and so this rolls back to the their supplier who's supplying that beef to the grocery store, and so the supplier rolls it down to the feed yards, and that is auditing. Um, you know, we kind of see a little bit with progressive beef. If any feed yards are participating in progressive beef, they're aware of what I'm talking about. So just recently, about two months ago, the U.S. Cattle Industry Feed Yard Audit Tool was released. This audit tool is hopefully going to serve as a single audit tool that producers will need to follow. We know that several of the packers are looking at this audit tool to use. That way producers are not subjected to multiple audit tools. They only have to follow one. And this audit, its foundation is in the Beef Quality Assurance Feed Yard Self-Assessment. So the Feed Yard Self-Assessment has been out for years. It's been around for a long time. Um, So if a producer is already participating with the BQA Feed Yard Self-Assessment, then they're preparing themselves for the audit uh, if, if that audit tool is to be used on their operation. Um, so I know that they're updating that feed yard assessment right now. Um, so when it's released, it'll be even better in preparing. And, and what it's really composed of, the audit, is really just protocols, documentation, records. But there is also an animal welfare component of it in watching how cattle are handled um, through the chute. And so, you know, uh, I encourage any feed yards out there to get a hold of the BQA feed yard assessment, especially the new one when they get it released at the end of spring, um, because that right there is your best tool to prepare you for any audits that you might be subjected to. Great information. Thanks so much, Jesse. That again is Jesse Fulton joining us. He has just assumed the role as director for the Beef Quality Assurance Program for Nebraska. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 6213. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Wall Street is tapping the brakes today on its record-setting rally this week as markets worldwide take a pause today. The S&P 500 was one-tenth percent lower in afternoon trading, a day after inching up to its second straight all-time high. Losses for stocks started early in Asia and then carried westward on worries about resurgent coronavirus cases in China and weak economic data from Europe. In the U.S., disappointing earnings reports from IBM and some other companies gave cover for investors to book profits after big recent gains. The S&P 500 is still on pace for a 1.8% weekly gain. Sales of existing homes rose 7 tenths percent in December, helping to push sales for the entire year to the highest level in 14 years, giving the economy a rare bright spot in a global pandemic. The National Association of Realtors reports that the December sales increase lifted activity to a seasonally adjusted annual rate 
of 6.76 million units. For the year, sales rose to 6.48 million, the highest level since 2006 at the height of the housing boom. The Senate Finance Committee has approved President Joe Biden's nomination of Janet Yellen to be the nation's 78th Treasury Secretary. Supporters said they hope to get to the full Senate to approve her nomination later today, making her the first woman to hold the job. The Finance Committee approved Yellen's nomination on a 26 to nothing vote. The jackpot for the Mega Millions lottery game has grown to nearly $1 billion ahead of tonight's drawing after more than four months without a winner. That record drought is thanks to bad luck, poor odds, and reduced play partially blamed on the coronavirus. It's only the third time a lottery jackpot has grown so large. For the Rural Radio Network.com. Hello, this is Governor Pete Ricketts inviting you to join me for my next Governor's Monthly Call-In Show this coming Monday from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time and 1 to 2 p.m. Mountain Time. I'm excited to grow Nebraska, and I look forward to taking your calls and questions. Please tune in and stay involved with your state government with my monthly call-in show from the Nebraska Broadcasters Association and this radio station. The Nebraska Rural Radio Association presents the Governor's Call-In Show Monday at 2 p.m. on 880 KRBN. Be honest, it's hard to get started with your own operation in this industry. But if you're willing, my experience has shown me that there is opportunity. That's Shelby Leffelholz, who has found her opportunity in custom feeding. We learn more about Shelby and her operation in this week's edition of Friday Feeders, brought to you by FNBL, the great big small bank. I'm Clay Patton for the Rural Radio Network, and you don't often hear about a young person who breaks into the agriculture industry with her own feed yard. But that's exactly what Shelby Leffelholz is doing near Bertrand, Nebraska. As we get started, Shelby, give us an overview of your operation. We are a background operation facilities located just north of Bertrand. Uh, combined, we have a capacity of about a thousand heads. Uh, we are primarily custom based and are currently backgrounding cattle uh, for a local finishing yard. And I keep referring to we because my family has been largely involved uh, with labor needs in the operation with my dad, brother, and husband jumping in when things get really busy. It's an all-hands-on-deck situation, and it's great to hear that this is a family affair as well. When did you kind of have the aha moment that you wanted to go out and wanted to start your own feed yard? Starting a feed yard wasn't necessarily part of my initial plan. I had doors open up that I never expected, and the timing just seemed right. Um, There was a family that leased the facilities for for development prior to me taking over the leases and through them I was able to get a lot of experience managing their operation. They eventually expanded their own operation to a new location and the opportunity to step in and take over the leases was available. Uh, So that's kind of what led me to the start of this business. Shelby, I'm sure there have been challenges associated with starting your own operation from the ground up, but I'm sure there's also been rewarding moments. Can you tell us more about the challenges and rewards of your feeding endeavors? A big challenge for me was walking into unknown territory. A lot of planning went into it, but I eventually hit a point where I had to dive in and navigate among the craziness you know, of starting a new business. So I guess you could call that elite a successful feedlot is driven by inventory, you know, so believing that we would get customers that would fill the pens was part of that leap. Uh, So I guess the initial start and just putting this plan in drive was the most difficult for me. As far as rewards, 
just being able to increase local business has been rewarding for me. Although small, we've been able to increase demand for feed commodities and other services, such as beer and corn stocks. And I like being able to do business with neighbors and having us both benefit from these purchases. It's also been rewarding for me to have my family involved. It's not you know, uncommon to see my nieces and nephews helping me with chores. So that's been that's been kind of fun for me. Shelby, we appreciate all of the information that you've been able to bring forth for us today. But as we start to wrap up our interview, I always want to make sure maybe any information we have overlooked or things that are important to our listenership or your final or closing thoughts for us. Just a final thought. I think people underestimate the importance of having a younger generation come back and picking up these types of operations and businesses. So if you're someone in the position that can get a younger person started by all means do what you can wise words to close our conversation with shelby leffelholz this week's friday feeder there's more to our conversation that we couldn't fit on air today including shelby's advice to young people wanting to follow a similar path you can listen to those comments and our entire conversation not restricted by time when you visit the podcast tab at ruralradio.com or by visiting the friday feeder web story thanks for listening to the rural radio network These guys care. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look at the closing grain futures with John Payne of Daniel Zang Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the Daily Newsletter this week in grain. John, as we take a look here on the closing numbers for a Friday, a sharp downturn in the market. Soybeans and corn leading the way, but wheat right there close behind. Overall, just something to kind of overlook on a Friday. May we come back in Sunday night? Momentum trade coming to the end of the week. Well, I'll be interested to see who takes delivery on those options at $5 on corn. We traded there into the close, it touched 499 and it looks like the settle is 5 even. So this is where on a day like today you have options expiring for February options. So this is the March contract, but they expire in January. Kind of a mouthful, I know, but bottom line is there were, there were positions that were worthless yesterday that are now 10, 15 cents in the money. So in the case of beans, You've brought a lot of new positions now short, and I imagine this is just the start of a chop session that's going to take us through the March delivery. I doubt we get too, too directional here. Nothing, in my opinion, has changed. You know, Yes, the weather in South America is better, but we're still dealing with a tight feed market, and you know, even without a stimulus package here, consumption is going to stay pretty much flat, in my opinion. And we don't have the room to be exporting like we did this week. And I imagine we're going to see good exports next week, too, you know. Unless we're seeing cancellations that I don't know about. I'm, I'm, this just doesn't concern me. I understand if you bought above 14 or, you know, four five forty, say Sunday night, you know, doesn't feel good. But I certainly don't think you bail on this. From a fun perspective, is that maybe some of the reason for the momentum to the downside to try and create more upside potential if this is going to be a range-bound market? Well, you know, if you could really see when the selling volume would pick up at all, you'd see the market fall. And there just isn't the buyers there. But there will be the buyers down at these levels. I think certainly below $5 on the July. You know, the end users are concerned, much more so than they've been in the last few years as far as getting supply. Export markets are still going to be around $300 a metric ton. I mean, we traded a new high this week in wheat. Uh, corn numbers don't seem to be falling. I mean, we, we blew the expectations out of the water. And, uh, yes, there was some news about... Mexico not buying GMO corn, but that's more of a them issue than our an our us issue. I I'd like to see how they accomplish that without you know the U.S. producer growing more. So those are those are all issues down the road though. So between acreage numbers that are high, 
again, if we if we plant 95 million acres of corn, Clay, I'll walk to Lexington from here. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but you know, price will dictate. I'm certainly not going to do it. If, you know, sub 420. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing, Chicago publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. If you want to see that daily newsletter, why don't you check out danielzagmarketing.com. There you can sign up for this week in grain. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Friday edition of Midday. If you missed anything, you can find our Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors, not only from today, but the entire week. 